0: Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow up and insights that modern businesses need to win.
1: Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me those beautiful ears. And if you're watching some video, man, I appreciate your eyeballs as well. Today, I have a man whose last name took me a while to learn how to pronounce, Luigi Prestinenzi with me. How you doing, Luigi? Oh, Victor. You know
0: what? You're one of the very few that actually can pronounce my surname. So growing up at school, they used to call me Luigi Alphabet. So anything outside of that is a good way <laughs> to pronounce my name.
1: Yeah. Luigi P. I can just see all the different names. <laughs> Luigi Nenzi. I can see all that <laughs> Luigi. Before we jump into today's topic, now listen here, folks. But before to, this topic is going to be so strategic, but more tactical than anything. I'm titling this podcast "The Big Deal" with Luigi Preston Nenzi because I, we're going to talk to a guy right now who is really, you know, walking the talk. Actually, going out there making big deals happen, and I'm going to really just just carve them up. To figure out what is it that he does to really close big deals. Are you okay with that, Luigi?
0: I love it. I love it. I want to break this down and you want I want you to pull me back. I want you to bring me forward, take me up, take me down,
1: wherever we go, I'm ready. Very cool. Uh give my give my my listeners uh and viewers a little bit about who you are, just a little background, and then we'll start. We'll kick into it.
0: Yeah, Victor. So I'm a, I'm a lifelong sales professional and lifelong learner. I've been doing this for over 20 years now, which makes me sound very old. I just hit 40. Um, I started in what we call today as an SDR sales development. I was doing it in telemarketing. I've done door to door. I've done kiosk sales in shopping centers. I was that annoying guy that people would try to they'd get on their phones <laughs> so they wouldn't get eye contact with the guy that's trying to sell them something in a shopping center, right? <laughs>
1: that's what I do. Busted. Okay, sorry. <laughs>
0: um and then I moved into B2B sales where I was uh, which I absolutely fell in love with working in enterprise deals was where I learned the most about a true selling, like working big deals like you talk about multi-stakeholder, very difficult. Um, and I've worked my way up to a point where I'd manage teams. So I've kind of worked across the whole end of the funnel um, from top of funnel right through to even ran a I was head of marketing for a large ASX a listed firm at one point. Um, but the last sort of you know part of my life, I've been working in the enablement space, coaching sellers, working with organizations, building playbooks basically doing everything that I love, everything that I know. Look, if I didn't know this, I'd be
1: in a lot of trouble because I don't really have any other skills outside of sales and marketing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the The last time we talked, it's hard to remember. I think I'm going to say it's almost like six to, months to a year ago. Yeah. You were talking about, uh, you You had several deals in the pipeline. Yeah. And, I, I, think, and I, I think you'd be okay with me mentioning some of the deal sizes because I want people to understand some magnitude here. I think one was like, I'd say 300,000. Three fifty, something like that. It was some deal size. Does that make sense? Yeah, a bit higher. Sound right? Got right bit,
0: yeah,
1: got yeah. a bit more. <laughs> You're like, yeah, a little higher, Victor. But th- thank you for underselling <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for underselling me. So let's say you had this three hundred, five hundred thousand dollar deal, and what I wanted, and I remember you, you were, you, we were just having a conversation. You were going through this deal, all the things you did. Yeah. You talked. To, you mentioned the playbook already. How you help companies really get their sales game together. And as I was thinking about this podcast. You know, I was like, that's what people want to know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you are a true, like, you know, you are that warrior in the garden. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're at peace, but you're killing it at the same time. <laughs> and I, and I, think, I think people want to know because t- there's, there's too many people out there who tell you what you need to do, but they don't show you how you should do it. And yeah. so I want you to think of a deal right now, and then I want you to describe this deal that you locked down that you want. First, describe the deal, the type of company. Yeah. The amount of money that you locked down, we're going to start with the end. You want it. Here's what I want. Here's what I got. Now, Victor, let's talk about how we got there. Give me an yep. example of a company you locked down recently.
0: Yeah. So a company in Australia, uh, they're a global firm, but I've been working with the Australian part of the business. They employ about 2,000 people here in Australia, um, probably for, uh, probably 500 mil in rev. So uh, maybe I be pr- probably a bit higher. Um yeah, so large organization, huge stakeholder group. So that from that point of first interaction, right through to that point of contract, um, oh, I can't tell you how many meetings took place, but there was a lot of stakeholders. So, you know, Gartner talks about, what, nine to 11 stakeholders. I think I ended up engaging with over 20 different stakeholders during that sales process. Wow! So wow. Okay. it was a long process but the deal value is, 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 you know, above half a mil now. Um, It's probably going to go for about three years at minimum. Um, And we've now, you know, I hate the word penetrated, but we've now, you know, really influenced. um, Sorry, my Google home just started talking. Um, We've really, we've really been able to influence and we now have the entire executive team as champions. So not just one person, you know, we've got the entire group that they're engaged in the process. They're part of the journey and they, they really do look at us as a partner. Um, and these are the words that they've used and we're about a year into the relation Oh, yeah, probably almost a year into the relationship. So for us to get to that point of partnership in such a short period of time, I think it's just a testament to the type of work that we've been able to do with them.
1: No, I mean, just, yeah. Okay. Dude, you set the frame up beautifully already. So that's a big deal. Uh, 500 over three years. Um, the number of stakeholders is quite shocking. That's 20 different ones. So uh, as you framed it, from contact to contract, yep. you know, uh, how long did that deal take you to close? I mean, how long?
0: It's interesting. From the very first moment, like if I had to go and actually assess, because, I, you know, there's that, initial stage where you're prospecting, you're building the relationship, I wouldn't really include that. But from that point where I made the actual phone call to say, hey, let's discuss this particular point of view that I want to bring to the table that I think is important to you, we're looking at about a 90-day sales cycle, right? So from that initial conversation to that point of contract, it was
1: 90 days. Yeah, so it's so it's interesting, Luigi. If I can ask, because like I said, we're gonna this we're gonna dissect this big deal, mm. right? And I think it's really interesting. What you said several things here. Uh, the first one is I'm really impressed with the fact that you had to go through 20 stakeholders, you estimate, and you did that still close the deal in 90 days. That the, in itself is amazing. It's dude. Write a book around that one. <laughs> uh, then the uh, you said something. Uh, you kind of said it quickly, but you said, "I don't count this as part of the sales cycle." What was that pre? We'll call that that pre you know, start. What was
0: that? So, you know, we often talk about prospecting, you know, you pick up the phone, you reach out, you build a cadence, you get them into a conversation. But I like to build two different funnels. I have my, you know, very, not aggressive. Let me change the format of that language. Mm -hmm. I have a funnel where yes, if there's a trigger event, if there's something happening that I think, you know, why it's time for me to talk to them today, then I'll really you know, pursue that opportunity, but then I build the relationship funnel, and you—you you are the master of this. You know, building content, creating an audience, etc. Now, you know, I, I engage with a prospect. Um, we we connected on LinkedIn. Um, he was engaging with my content. I thought I thought great, but what I did, I just nurtured him a little bit, and I started to just observe some patterns in the way that he was engaging different content pieces. And then I started doing my research on that company to try to get my understanding of where are they at in their sort of change cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Then as I started to really understand and started to map out where they are at in their journey, because this organization was going through a bit of a, a, a digital transformation. After about sort of 60 days of monitoring and I really started understanding the state of play. Then I took the opportunity to pick up the phone, right? And I had a very credible point of view that kind of made sense for him to meet with me, yeah? Mm -hmm. Now, was he the C-level decision maker? No, he wasn't. He's probably three from the top. But I knew enough that my strategy, and I also had engaged with the chief marketing officer at the same time, but my strategy was i'm going to go in through a lower point, not a lower point's probably the mm-hmm. the wrong sure. word, get the champion, but I wanted to validate my understanding of the state of play, right mm-hmm. And then once I validated that, I was able to then influence and say, we then got the next level of stakeholders involved to really discuss that state of play and my viewpoint around that state of play, yeah. So, you know, I never talk about, when I talk about, you know, that nurturing, that, that, that pre, I call it the research stage. I call it Mm -hmm. stage zero, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? I've actually got it in my meeting structure. You've always got to have a stage zero. The stage zero is before you can even go and meet with somebody, you've got to do your research. Like, you know, we are, we are professionals. Yeah. If we want somebody to give us some time, we need to come there with a really credible point of view that gets them thinking a little bit differently. I mean, you, you called it last week in a session that we had, you got to get them to hear the hiss, right? What I learned was they already heard the hiss. They were already hearing the hiss, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay? And so I just needed to understand what their version or what their interpretation of the hiss was. Gotcha. And again, that's me, why I used it. that initial period to understand exactly what that state of play was so that when I went there, my point of view was really valid.
1: You said something interesting. I really want to hit this one because I think, I think it's interesting. First of all, it's like this bifurcation, right? There's a trigger event that's one that you go, yeah, I can help yeah. them. So that's one kind of one signal that pops up. And the other one is, you know what? The relationship funnel. I'm just going to nurture this thing. Yep. I want uh, you also... Well, first question. have so many cool questions I want to ask you. i <laughs> So yeah. the first one is, like, how many people do you typically have on your radar that you monitor? You know, because you, yeah. know, you just said you spent 60 days, you know, as you say, monitoring the state of play. But how many mm. people can you, are you monitoring or can you monitor?
0: So obviously, we're pretty fortunate today, right? Like when we first started, I know, you're like me, when we first started in sales, we didn't have things like Sales Navigator right, that you could then map. In For those that don't use it, you can actually map the account and map all the key stakeholders and follow things. I'm a big notes guy, right? I'm a big guy where I'll get my CRM and I'm taking key things because, again, I'm trying to understand. And, you know, I figured out in that time what CRM they were using, what marketing automation platform they were using. Um, I, I found out that they were using Sales Navigator. I found out that that user adoption of Sales Navigator was low. I found out that, you know, how much um, revenue per rep was mm-hmm. but what the gap was. So these were all the things that I was learning um, through that through that stage mm-hmm. because I also then got to just talking to some, you know, people, some kind of uh, people that reported in to other parts of the business because as I was just starting, you connect with people, you start asking questions, um, you're just learning, right? And then mm-hmm. again, that helped me validate exactly what I was going in for, because when I did get that shot to speak to him and I brought my point of view, it was completely relevant. He was like, this is absolutely relevant for us right now, because these are the things that we, we, are, we are really trying to understand how to overcome, right?
1: Now, now real, real quick, because I want to clarify uh, to your point, mm. you said you came in at, you know, uh, at least three layers down yep. in the organization. Are you talking about that person or are you talking about the CMO who you eventually got to talk to?
0: No, I had already connected with the CMO, right? So we'd already connected. Conversation wasn't too intense. It was just more of a, you know, just a general chit-chat. But I then engaged with some other people that were at what I call the cold face, that were out there trying to win business, right? Mm-hmm. And because we've also got to remember, this is one of the things that I think we don't give enough consideration. If I'm engaged with you, say you're my prospect, and you start liking my content, People from your organization see my content, yeah? And sometimes people from your organization actually like my content because you've liked it. Now, that's a great way for me to then say, thanks for liking my content, would love to connect. Next thing I know, instead of one person, I've got two or three people, and then what do we do when we connect? We drop a voice note. That's what I do on LinkedIn. Hey, thanks for accepting my connection request. Love to learn a bit more about you. Next thing you know, you've got a conversation going, you're asking some very intentional questions. Then you're getting a bit of an understanding of what's happening, right? And it's mm-hmm. building your kind of use case, yeah? Mm-hmm. This is what I love about social because back in the day, it was a lot harder to get this information, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, that's what I was doing during ground during day zero, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, I made an intentional play because I knew that, you know what, based on what I learned this person would have been a great champion, would have been a great person to coach yeah. me through the process as well.
1: Got and you. that's what I do. So, so, and thank you, man. This is I, I'm loving this. By the way, the, the emphasis on, on using the different platforms, especially LinkedIn, Navigator, mm-hmm. and then your process of just, you know, connect with one and then they see it and then other people in their group see it. And then you connect with more people. Brilliant. Yeah. Simple strategy, but brilliant, right? Yeah. You'd be amazed how many people don't do that. That's that's incredible already. Uh, but I don't. I, I want to get back to the original question. I want to make sure, I don't want to skip over this because my, my audience will yell at me. <laughs> number of people that you have on your radar. Yeah. I'm taking notes here, man. So I'm, I'm keeping you on track. So like yeah. typically, give me a rough number.
0: So at the time, I had about eight on that account in and- SalesNav, right? Um, because at, this, at that one point, I wasn't entirely sure who was the final signatory. Who was the final person that was going to sign off? Um, Let's well, be clear.
1: Two, so there's two questions here. You're highlighting hmm. something I didn't think about. You're right. There's how many companies did you have on your radar? That was my original oh, question. But then yeah, you've highlighted company. something more important. How many people within that company <laughs> did you have on yeah. your radar? So it's two. It's, it's, yeah. I never thought about that. way. That's good. Yeah. Highlight those two for me.
0: Yeah, so at the time I had about eight prospects in SalesNav for that particular, or mm-hmm. eight people within that account that I was monitoring.
1: Right. Um,
0: obviously, there's other companies like I've like at the moment I've just started a fresh batch of prospecting, and I've got about probably 40 companies in that batch, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm over time that's going to drop a little bit because of engagement, etc. Um, but I probably at any given time I'm really researching a good sort of 10 that I've really got on my radar, right? Okay. So top of funnel 40, but then there'll be 10 that I'll be very proactively trying to, you know, look for those certain triggers, etc. Like I've got one right now. I've now just connected with their global VP of sales. I've already connected with their global head of enablement. Um, I've got a couple of AEs that I've been talking to. So now I'm going to start over the next few weeks. Um, I've just found an in great, a fantastic trigger where mm-hmm. I re- I referred them into one of my clients, the experience, their sales process wasn't the greatest. So now mm-hmm. I'm going to use that Intel to really get a conversation with the right people in the next two weeks. So that's my plan of attack now.
1: Yeah. Love it. Love it. So mm-hmm. 40 top of funnel, narrow it down to 10. Hopefully we can close two or three of those big deals. Correct. Kind of the average right
0: there. You know, there's always going to be a, there's always going to be in that type of funnel. There's always going to be companies that, regardless of how well you research, they're just not going to engage early on. So that's why I want that relationship funnel going, right? I want to just be connecting, sharing, right? But then there are going to be some that I'm trying to really go and talk to immediately because they're at that Mm -hmm. right point of when I should be speaking to them. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and so if we can, using your terminology, if we can have the, we'll, we'll leave the trigger funnel over here, because that's pretty obvious, right? Because then you, it's very mm. intentional why you're contacting them. Mm. But back to the relationship funnel, which I think where a lot of people are probably be at, I, I love that concept of just monitoring those 40 and then just trying to pare them down. What are some of the things, aside from engagement, which is the obvious, you know, layup, yeah. here's what you look for. You know, how do you begin to whittle that number down? Like, what are some things you look for based on your ideal client profile You know, what do you begin to look at? What are you you trying to feel in those conversations? So I think it's,
0: and just want to make sure I understand the question. So this is with companies that I'm really proactively trying to reach out to. Correct. Okay. So obviously, you know, when we're looking at triggers, we've got, I had one yesterday. I spoke to the chief revenue officer yesterday. It wasn't the best cold call. Mm -hmm. Actually stuffed it up a little bit, but because my narrative was quite clear, it was highly relevant for that person. We booked the time to actually explore this further, right? Now, the trigger I was looking for was the organization fit my ICP, the newly appointed CRO, and this person was appointed in the last 60 days. That's a perfect trigger for me because, in the first, as you know, um, and you've spoken about this before, Victor, in the first 90 days is when they're most open to change because. And and my narrative to him was really clear. It was, hey, understand that you've, you know, just moved into this role and it's a new role the organization has created. And I'm sensing that they created this because they're seeking greater alignment across the revenue engine. Yeah. And I've got some ideas on how you can achieve that in a shorter period of time, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, right? That was my kind That's of true. my narrative. Um, right. And he was like, absolutely, would love to connect and, and chat about this, right? Um, so role-based triggers are really important I also look for um, I've got a I try to look in Google and, and set up um, some Google alerts so that if there's any ever a notification about in the news mentioned strategy change like I had another one um, a leading property tech um, prospect I was I was actually trying to engage with and you know their CEO was stood down. Um, and then when I read, when it popped up in Google, I read the, it was, he actually referenced that pipeline results weren't there, weren't where they needed to be as in their And so they've, they've appointed a new CRO to a, achieve ABC. Again, that's a perfect trigger, right? right? Right. Um, to be then engaging with that, with that particular company, right? Like in the event true. where you can't find, there's nothing that pops up into the news. Cause that's the most common people go, but, but, but. But we can't find anything. Like there's nothing out there. Then we've got to use some sort of form of industry trigger that we think is affecting many companies like them. Because based on what you've seen and, and again, Anthony Nerino talks about the patterns, the patterns that we see as a professional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then we can use a pattern to see if they're feeling something similar, right? It's a yeah. and, and Caldini talks about this in his book Influence, right? Um using certain stories about people just like them, yeah? Right. But that, for me, is the weaker trigger.
1: Right. right. It doesn't have yeah. the, the punch, but it's a good trigger nonetheless. It's still right? a great trigger, absolutely. Very valid. So it's either a, a role-based trigger, somebody changes position, mm. just jumps into a CRO position, yeah. or the industry trigger. Uh, before I forget mm. to ask, I think this would be an interesting um, thing to know. Like, what what does your technology stack look like? You know, you mentioned a couple already, but just kind of go, give me a little short laundry list of your tech stack that you use to basically pull yeah. this all together.
0: So for Australia, a good research tool is Ibisworld. They're always good for data. Um, you know, they give you information about the industry, company reports. Crunchbase is another good one because then you can look for like the other trigger events is companies that are raised capital. That's another good one, right? Um, I look at job boards. And and that's not a tech stack, but there's some places that I'm looking for information. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, data enrichment is really important. So if you haven't got a data enrichment tool, you need to sign up to one today. So Lucia, LeadIQ, Seamless, there's a whole bunch of them out there. What they do is they essentially take a LinkedIn or sales navigator profile and they give you their mobile or their cell numbers and their email addresses. I'm not going to get into the tech stacks around kind of marketing automation platforms, but I use HubSpot. I'm a big HubSpot user. Um, I'm using the sequencing tool in HubSpot, even though there are some incredible sales engagement platforms out there. Sure. For what I'm trying to achieve, I'm not needing to do thousands of outreach a week because I've actually got, um, and I think you've seen my data before, Victor, I'm averaging about 15 to 20% outreach. Booked meetings, so I don't need to do hundreds and hundreds a week to get my meetings that I need. Right, mm-hmm. because I'd rather spend more time researching, have a hyper-relevant point of view. I'm, I know that I'm going to get a, a better outcome than just doing a, a spray and pray pl- approach. A spray yeah. and pray approach, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: As I say, quality over quantity. In this case. Absolutely,
0: so less is you know. more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I love that. Huff, what's your CRM? What, where do you keep all your Huff data? Oh, I love HubSpot. Okay. Yeah,
0: HubSpot's great. It- I use HubSpot CRM. I use HubSpot marketing. Um, obviously, we've got you know I use as my as my phone system. I've just signed up AirCall because it plugs into pretty easily with um, HubSpot, um, Sales Navigator to, to to build my lists. Um, I then enrich it with it. Lucia. I push it straight into HubSpot, so then it's a seamless integration, and my records are there, nice and easy. Yeah.
1: By the way, is AirCall a, uh, a a dialer? Yeah,
0: it's it's just like a phone system, right? Yeah, yeah. And use predictive like uh... I don't need any of predictive dialers or anything like that. It just it allows me to click the dial. I can record okay. the calls. I can go back and listen. Like it's just a very seamless tool with HubSpot.
1: Love it. Love it. And I, do you like, for example, Seamless AI uh, not AI? By the way, I had Brandon on uh, previously on the podcast. Uh, cool no, he's a bundle dude. bundle of energy. Oh, he is man! It was a great interview. <laughs> okay, you know. uh, so you just pull his data into AirCall, or do you put it into HubSpot? No, how HubSpot. you're doing it. Everything goes Same into goes HubSpot.
0: HubSpot's my kind of my source yeah. of truth.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Everything gotcha. goes in there. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. That's, that's your core. So now. You got, you got your tech stack in place. Yep. You know who you're going after. You got your relationship funnel, trigger funnel. You did your phase zero, right? Warming yep. them up. And then you move into the the more intentional side of the prospecting, which is now we've connected, we've chatted, we've exchanged some ideas, mm-hmm. some thoughts, some articles, whatever it may be. Now you go in there and you set up the meeting. Now, one of the other things I've seen that, again, it's too bad the people who are watching or listening uh, don't ha- didn't have the privilege of watching or viewing was, you know, your presentation. You shared one of your presentations with me. Mm. And I was just floored, <laughs> floored by the amount of detail, and yeah. first of all the the elegant look of it was one thing with your sales i q brand, but the the level of detail and you know the amount of research that went in, the amount of work that went into putting that presentation together blew me away, which I imagine was' probably blowing the people away who are on the other side of the table. yeah, you know, talk to me about you know how important it is once you have that first meeting. You know, what are some of the content pieces? What what are some of the, you know, the assets you should have at the ready when yeah. you're having that first meeting?
0: So, again, I, I, I'm a huge believer in, in, in like pre meeting nurturing as well. So, I get this, this CRO that I've, I booked in yesterday, Victor, I, I, I'm very transparent. I love Todd Capone's, you know, transparency focus when he talks about the transparency sal- sale, right? And I'm a big believer in that. And I told them, hey, I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn if it's... I asked them, you know, I'm very permission-based. Do you mind if I connect with you on LinkedIn if we haven't already? Yes, great. Great. Leading up to the meeting, I'm going to share some pe- pieces of content that I think you'll find relevant that'll actually give us a bit more context to our meeting. Yeah? So depending on the narrative that I lead with, if I'm leading with a particular narrative about, you know, inbound lead volume might be dropping because of what we're seeing with the economy um, and there's there's some data out there that's suggesting that inbound leads are are starting to dry up a little bit, then obviously I want to present a point of view around self-generating pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to share a little bit of content around, you know, some strategies around that space so that when we get to the meeting, we're already kind of primed for that discussion, yeah? Mm -hmm. So again, I'm a big believer sharing a few content pieces. Um, I sometimes even do like a mini Prezzo Right, right. Talking about a particular topic that I'll send it first. Sometimes I do it after the the first meeting, depending on how well, like how that first conversation's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I go into a meeting, I've got a very, very specific meeting structure that I try to follow. I'm very consultative in my approach. And I always start, you know, like with an agenda. And then I I start with a point of view, which is a a bit of insight. Right, and so,
1: so let's let's pause there, Luigi. Again, yeah. yep. dude, great stuff. I'm I'm just so loving this.
0: Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow up and insights that modern businesses need to win.
1: <laughs> the you said something again. You you, you blow by because it it's like it's just natural to you, like you know, like 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 walking, uh, but. I'm I'm a firm believer that you got to find a narrative, Mm. right? A narrative is, you know, kind of your, your storyline going into that, you know, so you talked about the, uh, you the example you had was inbound lead volume, right? That might be an issue Mm. because you say lead volume is dropping. And so you say, okay, that's a way in, but back, back it up for me a little bit. How did you identify the narrative of, you know, how did you sense which was the right narrative in that situation?
0: Yeah. So again, you've been. I've I've shown you my playbook. My personal playbook is: I do go. I spend a lot of time researching the persona, and then validating that narrative. Right. So, a CRO is is a different to a chief sales officer because, or a head of sales, because a head of sales is only focused on on selling, whereas a chief revenue officer is focused on the marketing component, the sales, and and the customer success. So they've got a wider remit. Right versus a head of enablement is, you know, effectively a little bit different to sales and CRO. So I really spend time building my personas and with the clients that I work with, if they're talking to CFOs, we actually interview CFOs to ensure that our understanding of their KPIs, their objectives, their KRAs is very clear. Because the narrative should be focused on those outcomes. Yeah, the narrative should oh, wait, talk the what's
1: what's the a, a, a KRA key I response,
0: that. you know, area. Um oh, okay. there's so many different terms, KPIs, OKRs, all this crap yeah. that they've come up. But <laughs> but <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, you know, but where I'm going to with this is because remember, people don't buy what we do; they buy the outcome we help them achieve. So right. you know, if we're talking about the outcomes that are important to them, and then our narrative is a is a hypothesis or some form of view around that then it's going to trigger engagement yeah yes. and i actually say it's one of my lines when i say look you know looking to get some time share some insight what we're seeing across the sector working with people just like you and then if and one of the ways that i handle the objection of if there is an objection i say look the worst case scenario is we'll meet i'll share some insight you'll walk away with some actionable actionable insight <laughs> Mm-hmm. right, that you can use immediately if you choose not to discuss. But if there is an opportunity, it'd be great, and we can explore what that looks like.
1: And by the way, that's always a great uh, objection blocker, right? The worst yeah. thing is you'll walk away with more information, more <laughs> questions you were never asking yourself, more, con- you know, with that whole thing. And then, yeah. best case, we might actually find something we can do together.
0: It's like you I mean, it's hard to say for- no to that. Yeah, because there's no task tension. The task tension drops because they're like, okay, well, I'm going to walk away with something. And if you if you if your narrative's kind of on point, if say for example they're an SDR manager, they're hiring a whole bunch of new SDRs. You know that most challenges is onboarding and ramping, getting them to performance in a, in a short period of time can be difficult. So if my message is around some ideas on how to shorten that that ramp time to get them producing results, they're going to be like. Yeah, I'd be pretty keen to learn about that. Sure. If I'm a CFO, you know, and they've got a particular outcome that you think, and, and you open it up and they're like, yeah, I'd be interested to to learning more about that. Because this is, again, I'm, I'm, we're both big fans of Anthony and but, you know, we, in what we do, we do this every single day. Our clients don't buy this every single day. So right. we're the experts. We've got insight and we've got stuff to share with our prospects that, is actually quite valuable. And right. if we package it up in a really strong narrative and give them that information, they're like, you know what? Yeah, I do want to hear this. It piques curiosity. And yeah. so when I get to that first meeting, that's what I lead with. I start with my agenda and then I lead with the insight. I lead with my point of view. You know, it could be it could be a, a, some data from Gartner. It could be some data from McKinsey's or Forrester that, you know, talks about some changes that are happening and some trends that are impacting performance. And then that leads to an open question to say, you know, based on some of the trends that are happening in your sector, how how has, you know, your organization been able to adapt to that change?
1: Love it. Okay, so pause there. I I love it. Now now we're getting, I I want to emphasize something because I think it's really interesting how you did that. And again, it's simple but obvious, but sometimes we need to point it Mm -hmm. out so people go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Is that not only did you, you know, when we phase zero relationship got it, then you move in, you contact, you're very intentional about what you want to talk yep. to them about, which is part of your hypothesis, right? Yeah. You also mentioned something that was really interesting, that, and I love this because I think it plays to who you are, and plays to who we all are. Really, is transparency and not being afraid to be transparent. Mm. And I and I wanted to back up a little bit because you mentioned a book that I had, the transparency sale by an author, Todd Capone. Tuck Okay. Well, how do you spell? Got to
0: check name? him out. You need to. I'll, I'll connect you guys on LinkedIn. He's 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 got okay. some great content. He's the sales historian as well. I love it because he quotes all this stuff from a hundred okay. years ago. And yeah, I just I just loved his concepts.
1: Oh, look at his content. How do you spell his last name?
0: C A P O okay, N I. Like okay. Truman Capone. I, I spelled
1: Caponi. Closing up. So, so I'll look that up because I I love the transparency thing, and I think the Mm -hmm. you know when you when you make that statement about look the worst case, you'll walk away with all this information, have new questions to ask, so forth and so on. Uh, And yeah, that is very Innerino like. (laughs) But you also mentioned, but I also like what you're doing is that you're saying, look, Victor, I got companies I'm going after, and then when I look at the. The, I'll just say the champions within those companies. I got, you, you mentioned like the CFO, the CRO, yeah. the CSO, you know the, C, you know, the CMO, all these, all these XOs that you really, and then from there, you probably know what each of their concerns are. So if I yeah. ask you, hey, a chief revenue officer, what are the top three to five things they think about? You could probably give me that. If I mm-hmm. move over to the CFO, you probably give me that also. And I love that because you're, I think if you know who you're going after, then you know what the hot buttons are going to be. Correct. Because and, at some,
0: that, we, yeah, because we've also got to remember that. And I, I say, you know, this is, when we're engaging with them, there is usually a committee now. We know that there are more than one, there's more than one person involved. And it's, look, if it's a very transactional five, 10 grand, it's usually, hey, can I get this budget? Yep, it's there, bang. I'll take it from my, Right, you know, a lot of people taking it from this travel budget the last two years because they weren't using their travel budget. So it was easy mm-hmm. for them to get some cash.
1: That's funny. I it, never thought about that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. But yeah. we know that, and, and again, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to sell multi-million dollar transformation projects where it was not a budgeted, it was not a budgeted plan. Like it wasn't in the plan. They didn't have a budget for it. We had to create the budget. We had to have a business case, get the right people involved and get it signed off. And just like in this particular project that I got signed off, there wasn't a budget. We had to go Mm -hmm. create the budget, right? And we needed consensus. We needed different people from the organization to say, hey, this is an initiative that we want to work on, right? And we are not just because we often, you know, it's not just about the, the financial investment. People go, oh, "It's a, you know, it's a hundred grand initiative. But actually, what about the investment of people that need to be allocated right. to this project? Because yep. the company's also thinking about that as well in the back of their mind. They're doing the calculation. Well, if we give John and we give, we've got all these people, this is what the true cost of this initiative actually is. And then they're weighing up the cost of, well, other projects need to be put aside because of this project. so And then you've got other stakeholders, and this is where the complexities of the big sale kicks in, because then you've got you know the CMO who wants this because it's important for his priorities, but then the chief operations officer or, or somebody else is like, "But hang on, I want to bring in a new ERP, or I want to bring in a new you know SharePoint or something. I want that budget for my project." Then you have competing executives, right? right. So again, this is why I believe that that consensus process is actually really important. And I think when we rush, and sellers, I've been a victim of this myself, right? If we rush to that point of proposal too quick, without going through the required steps, that's when we can often get deal stalled. Because internally, there hasn't been that debate and conversation about implementation and what it actually does mean for them, and how it will affect different people across the table, right
1: so so yeah let, let, let me let me ask you a question and I'm gonna push you on this one a little bit yeah the because I because I, again, you have the insight you're you're like you're like front line you're you're taking the bullet so to speak um, I think it's interesting the number of people increasing, right? you mentioned uh, you're going to have a lot of stakeholders, so let's go back, let's rewind the tape a little bit so you again, you did the phase zero, you're now in the first meeting, you got yeah. the agenda. You got the hypothesis going. You talked about data from Gartner, Forrester, whoever. You know, does this line up? Does this sound familiar? And But you have different people, and it could be multiple meetings I, I, yeah. with different stakeholders. Absolutely. So I, I was reading this study, and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Uh, so Gartner, specifically Brent Adamson over at Gartner, yeah. uh, put this, um, by the way, he's one of the authors of the Challenge, yeah. Please, you know this. Yeah, this is for everybody else, not you, Louis. I know you know. (laughs) Yeah, uh, So uh, you should look at Brent Adamson, uh, if you're listening or watching this. uh, Always great content. His Mm -hmm. new thing is, you know, sense-making and how to sell, you know, and guide people to a buying decision. But he talked about the difficulties of these, what do you call these, you're you're looking at what he calls for a big, high deal, low regret deal. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that is that what often tends to happen, more often than not, and this is where I want your perspective is that because you have all these different interests, all these different buying motivations, the CRO wants this, the CMO wants this, and in order to get, you know, we, we throw, we bandy about the word consensus, almost like, you know, like confetti, just throw it everywhere. <laughs> the, the the problem, he says, is that in, in many cases, we people settle for what they call the lowest common denominator of what we could agree on, and mm. at the end of the day, we close on that deal and nobody's happy. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I read that, and I thought that, I said, that's an interesting perspective. We can't get people mm-hmm. all on in the same boat, you know, and to agree on all the things we want. So everybody begins to compromise, right? Yeah. And then everybody begins to compromise that we wind up with a solution that has nothing to do with the actual supplier, right? The yeah. supplier's got to give you a good product, but it's not what everybody wants, and everybody's unhappy with it. You know, what are yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Or how to avoid that?
0: I think, have I seen that? Absolutely. You see that. You see that trying to, trying to meet too many people's needs. And again, this is what I love about coming from the challenger, asking the challenger question, right? Actually asking the, the group of stakeholders, is everybody actually aligned on this? Because if they're not aligned, right? And I heard Jen Allen talk about this, for example. She's, um, the chief evangelist at challenger. And I love that question. I actually started using it. I did it with a, a deal that I was working on. And wow, man, it just broke the, the robust conversation that happened as a result. But for me, and this is where I think we've got to also be true to our values, right? If we're selling a, an outcome, if we're helping an organization scope what that change looks like, and they say, hey, Victor, this is where we need to get to. It's on our strategy. We've got to get there because of A, B, and C. So great let's put this proposal, let's work together. We come up with the scope. We're like, great. Then they say, well, because we can't get to consensus, we've got to do a material change a proposal to fit it within people's, you know, viewpoints. And then before you know it, the proposal is completely different. And you're like, hang on a second. Am I just selling this for the sake of getting a deal? Because actually we're not going to help them get to the North Star. We're, we're actually going to go down there. We're going oh, in a that's different it. direction. That's it.
1: You nailed it. That's it. You've nailed the scenario. Yes. Right?
0: So, for me, and I've done that, I'm not going to lie to your audience. Have I sold? By the way,
1: in sales, sometimes you're like wanting to sell. You're like, okay, I'll take whatever I can get. So, I love where you're going with this.
0: But my my, my lesson in my life so far is that every time I chase the deal and go, well, it's still a deal, it ends up biting me in the ass.
1: Every single time. Because it's a hard lesson to learn. Why? Talk, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, I'm just because, like, I'm so in agreement with you on this. <laughs> yeah, because then they're like,
0: they don't get what they want. They become a problem client. They don't become an advocate. You can't get referrals. You start going, fucking, you know, I just want to give the commission check back because, yeah.
1: because they're doing my head in now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've actually had like, I just want to give you your money back. I really don't it's, want this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then your phone
0: rings and you're like, "Ah." Oh. Serenity now, you know, like George Costanza's dad. Serenity now. Oh my god, we were just talking
1: about that yesterday with my daughter. Serenity now.
0: (laughs) You know, Serenity Now. (laughs) Insanity later. But anyway, like we've been there. And so for me, and and again, this is where our core values as a sales professional need to kick in. And sometimes you've actually got to say to the client, Hey, appreciate, you know, this is where you want to get to. But based on what you've shared with us, this is where you actually said. If we do this, we can't get to this direction. And sometimes, when you.
1: I was going to say, Luigi, that is so important. I, I, I apologize for interrupting your flow. I don't, but it's just, it's so big that you just said this that you almost have to get them on the record. Yep. At the beginning, what are we trying mm. to accomplish? So that when we go through the fog of decision making mm. and we come out the other side and it's all, you know, warbled up, you bring them back to that reminder. And so do yeah. you do that a lot? Do you really just yeah. kind of try to figure out that process? I mean, I know it's simple, but walk me through the process anyway.
0: So I just use a simple one pager, right? I start with a one or two pager. After I have a meeting, I send them my discovery analysis. Like, thank you for me. And again, it's got to be a sizable deal. I'm not going to do it for like a five grand deal, right? Hmm. I just send a bullet point email, but I say, thank you, Victor, for meeting. Hey, I just want to make sure I'm capturing that. My, my understanding of what we discussed is is. I'm, I'm accurate, right? Because sometimes you miss things. And again, this is what I love about what COVID's done is most of my calls are now recorded. I can transcribe. makes it easy for me to get notes because, as you know, back in the day, you couldn't really rock up to a meeting with a camera crew behind you and go, hey, Mr. Customer, do you mind if I just record this meeting? So I know. I By the way, come? everybody,
1: everybody, everybody <laughs> complains about virtual, but there's a lot of advantages to virtual. Heaps,
0: right? Yeah. So I structure it, current state, future state. Because they're buying the future state. So this is what you told me about what's currently happening and the past. There's also a lot of stuff that they, that they've done in the past, which is very important. So tell me a bit about what's happening right now. And these are the, some of the outcomes you want to achieve. That becomes my scoping document. And every time I have another meeting, we go back to that. And I, I, I share that with a client. I say, Hey, can you actually check my notes, make some changes? I send, I send it as a Google doc because they can put comments mm-hmm. on it. Then we start collaborating, yeah? Then they start becoming part of the solution. That then eventually goes into the proposal as the first two pages of the proposal because that's fundamentally the reason. That's our our reason for change. That's why we are seeking investment from the organization to work on this particular initiative. So every time I have a meeting, I go back to that doc and I change that doc or I alter it or I add some extra things. Because that's our scoping document, right? Because without oh, man, just... it, it's it's not giving me consistent clarity, and it's not engaging different stakeholders. And I share it with different stakeholders. That's how I get consensus.
1: That that is that is simply simple and brilliant. The what I, what I love about it, it's like a compass all the time. But you said something again. You're so you've been in the trenches, so it's like A, B, C. But you said something. You said it quickly. I got the current state and the future state. But then you said something interesting. You you, you, you slipped this from tried to slip it past me. You said, <laughs> "Yeah." Then I asked about the past, yeah. And I and I, I caught that because the the past is important. Like, what decisions did you make in the past to get you to this future state, to this Correct. current state? And and that gives you some insight into their decision making process, or maybe Correct. even their value system or philosophy. You know, mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about how that plays into their current state and how do you use that? So one of the questions, like you know, are you
0: the decision maker is probably the most insulting question you can ask someone, right? I think so. Because you've also, people have ego and people have that, you know, important, right? Mm -hmm. But saying, you know, when you implemented something initiative similar to this, what did the process look like? Correct. And who was involved in that process? And will that be the you And why
1: did you make these decisions?
0: Correct. What worked well? If you could go back and do it again, what would you do differently? Because- Mm -hmm. Again, the way we're all conditioned by our past. So if they've gone through an experience of change and it didn't go to plan, then that is going to be something that will come up in the conversation when Mm -hmm. the team is having a debate about do we do this or not. And it's interesting. I interviewed one of my clients. We're building out a CFO persona, right? And we interviewed their CFO, global organization, I think maybe... 10,000 people, 15,000 people. Mm. It's a pretty big organization, right? And the CFO said um, he gets proposals across his table every week. And he said this. It it hit me in the face. I loved hearing it. He said, look, when my people bring me, because they're the ones that ask me for sign-off, when they bring me a proposal or a business case for me to sign off, if they can't answer the questions of my selection criteria, I kill the deal right? And he says, I'm looking for risk. There are certain things that I'm looking for. So again, if they've had a previous project that they've implemented and things have not gone to plan, you can bet your bottom dollar that's going to come up again, right? Because they're going to be going, right, now we're looking at our risk matrix and saying, how do we mitigate this risk happening? Or how do we mitigate, you know, I heard this saying the other day, what do they call it? They called it um, shelf, shelfware, right? Which was software that gets put on the shelf because so many companies are buying software and it just gets put on the shelf, right? So there's 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 things that organizations are trying to mitigate. So if we don't understand how they've behaved in the past, how they've purchased, how did it work, where did it go, mm-hmm. then we're not really understanding how they're about to, what are the things they're gonna go through from a decision-making process because and how we're enabling them to work through those particular objections when they become objection. Mm-hmm. Because, as you know, if they become an objection, and we don't raise it, or we're not there to talk about it, that could become a deal breaker.
1: <laughs> absolutely, right? absolutely. I, w- I wanted to ask you about this. is This is this is so so insightful. The because the, the, the past thing really does play into the current state. Mm. And what what I, what I love about your saying is that you're you're exercising a level of patience. That a lot of people don't have in a big deal, especially a complex sale, big deal. Because you have some people would just skip over that step. I don't care how you got here; I just know you're here, (laughs) right? But there's something behind that, and I I think there's another aspect of it uh, that I've always often thought about, and that is the people who made the decisions in the past to get to the current state are still there. Yep. Right, and nobody hates to admit that they made a mistake in buying a certain software system. And so one of the things I found very useful is to, to always let people know. I said, "Look, when these decisions were made, and I, was, I softened this up like five years ago, the market was different. Mm. The technology was different. So we're fast-forwarding now, and now we have a new market with new technology, so it's time to make a new decision. Yeah. And again, I soften that up, and people go, "The decision makers who made the past decisions are not their ego isn't hurt." Yeah. Because Absolutely. they you know what I mean? Cause there's, there's this, there's this ownership thing, the endowment effect, mm. you know, they feel like they, that's their baby. And you're saying, mm. yeah, that was a great decision five years ago. Yeah. You know, technology's changed and then you're giving them a way out. Have you yes. seen that? I mean, when you talk to people, it's almost like you got to give them a way out.
0: Yeah. And sometimes they take it personal, right? So they're like, they own like, you know, even, 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 <laughs> even when they've implemented something that hasn't worked they still like holding on to it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm working with another client, Big Telco, that they implemented this new methodology. I won't mention who they are because you'll know it, right? And it's really expensive. And let's just say user adoption has been like under 10%. <laughs> so you can't say it's successful, but they're holding on to it because it was a big right. investment. Our competitors are doing it. We've got to be doing it. No one's using it, right? So.
1: Our competitors are doing it, but we're not used to it. But well, we got to hang on to it. Yes.
0: So <laughs> you can challenge them and say, look, just throw it out the window, but that's not yeah. going to lead us any closer. Yeah. So it can be saying, right. I appreciate that that's important to you. You know, I want to make sure that we can continue to embrace that. Let's complement it. Let's try to work together. Like, yeah. you know, in some case, you've just got to accept that, you know, even, even, even things that haven't been successful, people are going to hold on to right because so let me you ask you a question
1: Louis. You, I, I got to ask this question because again you're bringing up so many mm. you're bringing up so many nuances so many subtleties to closing a deal and this is one where they've made a decision to buy whatever type yep. of system right and they only have a 10% adoption rate so if I'm a decision maker who signs off like that guy that says I have criteria before <laughs> I sign off yeah. he's going to say the first thing he's going to say dude the last deal you brought me only 10% of the people are <laughs> using it yeah. So, why, you know what I mean. And so, how do you like overcome that type of resistance? This is a great
0: question, right? And again, if we know that, like, if we know that there's been a failed implementation, and we do not, um, the our champion or, or the buying committee with the resources to break that down, which is, hey, this is what we know has happened, before, but this is our implementation. These are the people that are going to be involved this is the kind of, this is a business case, these are the risks, but this is how we're going to, these are the obstacles that we think will happen. And these are the potential solutions that we're going to put into place. If we fail to put that together, then mm-hmm. we're not preparing our, our stakeholder group Correct. to be successful. We Correct. fail because they've told us, they've said, Victor, this is what happened. And you're like, okay, that's great. I'm just going to completely ignore that. And let's just go for the kill. If yeah. we do not bring that into play, and say, hey, this because the question is going to be raised, and they say, well, great question, John. We've got the plan. This is how we're going to work through this.
1: Right. Okay. You've thought way, about have, it? have you ever gone back and asked, like, for example, let's say the adoption rate is low. Let's just use CRM. It's always a good generic uh, yeah. software package. And let's say only 10% of the sales force uses it. And, you know, do you ever go back and say, or interview some of these salespeople who are not using it? I said, dude, why aren't you using it? You know, just, you know, and try to get that data and then knowing what that data is going to be, whatever they tell you, then you're going to present a solution. Here's what your people told you why they didn't adopt mm-hmm. it. I've here's done it what before. we're going to do.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm Sorry to cut you off. I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. I get excited with this stuff. I've done that before. because no, no, we're, again, we're
1: both excitable <laughs> here. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's it.
0: Go ahead. Go, this go this go this sales but absolutely, like, you know, when you've done, and, it, and this is why, You you know, I I believe, I do, I truly believe in the scoping. And again, I'm not talking about I'm selling a widget, sign up to my widget online, self test it, then you can buy it. Like I'm talking about selling, you know, bigger deals are usually transformation deals because you're not selling the current state, you're selling change. Mm -hmm. Transformation requires, you know, depth and scope. Um, And this is why I think for people that are continuing to focus on selling change, the bots will never replace us for a while, right? Because there's a a lot of complexities in that. And if you are selling change, you really need to scope. You have to have a good detailed scope. Personally, I factor that into my acquisition cost. And I have done that for 15 years, Victor. I go, right, if I'm going to win a deal for a million bucks, how much am I prepared to win that deal? Is a ten percent okay? I'm going to invest X amount of my time to get this deal across the line. I'm going to talk to my boss. I'm going to say I need a resource. We need to scope some stuff. I might need a technical person to come in with me because I need a subject matter expert that I haven't really got that. If it's a particular you know project that I'm working on, or historically when I when I did and I did it, I landed a a pretty large deal, nearly ten million dollars, and I spent I literally put everything off and I spent over three months of my life on just a scoping stage wow right wow and it really depends it,
1: on the size yeah I correct i I want to highlight this because I think this is you know you you said a lot of cool things and a lot of informative things but I think the you know this last part you know with regard to the scoping document it's probably to me the most to me the big takeaway for me is how you approached it and I just kind mm-hmm. of do want to do a quick summary and yep. then add add where I missed something okay and that is, okay, we got the ICPs, we got your phases, your triggers, and all that. But I love the way you say, here's your current state, here's your future state, but I still need to understand the past, how you got to your current state. Mm. Then you said, you create a scoping document. Then you said, I go, I get a Google document going. After a meeting, yep. I said, here are the things we discussed, and you highlight everything. And then you said, that begets collaboration, which begets them being part of the solution process. Uh, and then from there is where you really finally consolidate. And bring together your, your one to two page proposal, which is the big why we're yep. doing this. Correct. I love that. I love that. Did I, did I miss anything in that?
0: No. The one key thing is before I submit the final proposal, we we talk. I don't send the final proposal. We catch up. I present what we've worked on. And then mm-hmm. I ask what changes do we need to make to make sure we can achieve this? or what questions might be raised that we haven't addressed. Then that turns into a final submitted proposal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that, man. I yeah. love that, Luigi. I, and I know you got to get going, man. So I'm going to wrap up on this. Uh, um, where can they find more information about you and your business and anything that is
0: Luigi <laughs> Preston Mate, I'm trying my hardest to create a following like you, Victor. So come and find me on the Sales IQ podcast. Um, it's where I share some of my thoughts around this stuff. Um, and LinkedIn, I'm, I'm trying to be active on LinkedIn. But yeah, the Sales IQ podcast is probably the place where I've been. I've been able to really find a bit of creativity around this stuff. Um, and I've, I, I last week I shared the whole. I, I broke my whole first meeting structure down. You know, the thing that I've been using for the past X amount of years. I broke it down step by step. Um, And if you want those tools that Victor's referring to, the discovery analysis, any of that, hit me up. I'm happy to share it. Look, I'm very free with these tools. I didn't invent some of these tools. These are hybrid tools of Wilson Learning, Miller Hyman. I've just made them my own over the years. That's worked for me. So, um, you know, credit to the people that actually created this stuff. Um, I've just been able to contextualize it and make it work for me. Okay. Um, in the in the front line. So yeah, sales like you podcast, LinkedIn, type in Luigi. There shouldn't be too many Luigi Prestonensis in the world. Um, so you should be able to find me.
1: <laughs> Luigi, thank you for your time. And for those of you watching, listening, that's it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you find me. And after you do that. Go check out the Sales IQ podcast. Sign up for that. Come on. You had to enjoy this one. This is a good one, a really good one. And last but not least, when you have done with all that, check out the Sales Velocity Academy. Again, I got courses on how to help you sell more faster. And on that note, this is Victor Antonio, always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you got no guy like Luigi and you know how. Take care.
0: Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win.